Hello and welcome to ISA Conversations, Women in the Law of the Sea, a special production of the International Seabed Authority in celebration of the remarkable contributions of women to the progressive development of the law of the sea. I'm your host, Mark Thomas, and today we meet a phenomenal personality in the law of the sea one of the key architects behind that landmark third United Nations Conference on the Law of the Sea held between 1974 and 1982. Anik Dumafi Mantuano, the former director of the Division for Ocean Affairs and the Law of the Sea in the United Nations Office of Legal Affairs. Dr. Dumafi, welcome to the conversation. Thank you very much, Mark. I'm very happy to contribute to this very important mark of celebrating the 40th anniversary of this landmark international treaty, the United Nations Law of the Sea Convention. Working at the United Nations was a lifelong dream for you, Dr. Damafi, and you studied and prepared well for the opportunity when it came. Take us back to the beginning, if you may, and tell us how those dreams became reality. Well, I think I have to go back to my youth and how I was brought up. Uh, I have to say I was very lucky to be in a highly educated family. But, you know, what happened is I was born in Algeria, where my father has established a company, a plant, uh, dealing with fabrication of cigarettes. He was an engineer and came there to establish this company. So I was brought up also, not only in my direct family, I had three Three brothers, who also was much older than me, which in this family contributed also at an early age to my development. But if I mention Algeria, it's because I was born in an environment where there was different culture in which I was exposed as a young uh, person, of course, the French, but not only the French, they were Spanish, they were from Malta, like a very important French writer said Algeria was like a Latin America, Americanization. I mean, it was not only French. So there was this Christian culture, certainly, but also, of course, the Muslim, with whom I was connected by the fact of living in Algeria, and the Jewish culture. So I was brought up in the you know, wide environment. And that's probably what, you know, beside the fact that my family was a very open-ended, we were all very tolerant. And, you know, we were exposed, I was exposed to different culture at a very young age. It appears you were born and raised for the UN. Probably that's why I, I, I mentioned that part of my youth, because I think it's important to establish your personality. So then we move uh, at an early stage back to France. And well, then I was raised in a, in a Catholic school and uh, so no, not very much problem. But Let's not forget when we were. We were in the 60s. And the 60s, I seen a very, very deep already revolution uh, in international relations. That was, you know, the beginning of the uh, decolonization process and the development of high technology. So when I entered university, that's where, you know, that a new world was already started. And my great fortune was to have met my encounter with a professor was many excellent professors, but one particularly who also was, has been teaching in Algeria 
was also somebody of beside an incredible intelligence. He was a humanist with a way of already having a vision of how the world will develop, taking into account all those different evolution which took care, starting in the 50s, let's not forget, in 55, I think, was a Bandung conference where African and Asian met already to discuss between themselves what will be peace and development and economy. So then came also at the UN, very important development in the 60s, where this uh, adoption of uh, the 1514 resolution granting independence to a colonized people, and which was also the starting of the coming to the UN a large flow of new countries. And, you know, from uh, the origin of uh, 51 members at the origin of the UN, in the 65, you had already 118 member states. And these states uh, had understood the importance of the General Assembly of the United Nations because it's through this uh, assembly that this resolution I just mentioned was adopted and they understood the power that they will have. So all that had to be taken into account in view of how the international society is going to evolve. And that's where my professor, René-Jean Dupuis, had seen all these uh, things coming, which is very rare to have people with vision. And so I was very much attracted by his course, by his teaching, by his humanism. And so uh, when he started uh, doing his course on the law of the sea, on the traditional way, he was injecting also a lot of new geopolitics political development, which of course uh, was for me like a, a shock. I knew I was going to do that. I knew I wanted to join the UN, but that was fine. That was in my mind. So how did you eventually get into the UN and into the law of the sea? I had in me something pushing me, although I knew it was would be difficult because, you know, to join the UN at that time, you have quota or each country had to have a certain number of staff members. And already I knew that the French quota was full. So I knew it was not going to be easy. But for me, maybe because you know the say from Napoleon, impossible is not French. Uh -huh. So I said, I continue my road. First of all, to continue my education, to try to get the best and the highest level, because I knew Without that, I will never join the UN. So that I continue my road until, I must say, I was very lucky. Is when, you know, it was decided that a new conference to establish a new regime on the law of the sea will be convened. And for that, a new secretariat will be established. And also at the same time, having been fortunate to have an endowment for the Carnegie for Peace, I could assist to one of the committee who prepared this conference as a student. But there I met a lot of people who would become 
my colleagues, and also a lot of delegates. So the junction of this professor, the fact that my good fortune was that there was new development in the law of the sea, and that because I had this opportunity to meet people, you know, already serving this committee will continue to serve the conference. I was fortunate. I see the occasion and I request, uh, I made my, my application to, uh, to join the United Nations. But again, fortunately, there was another woman from Australia who already was in the secretariat. She was from Australia. Her name was Gwenda Matthews. And we had a very good uh, connection between uh, the two of us. And she was very, very kind to push my candidacy from those who are starting the recruitment for the what would become the Law of the Sea Conference. And so uh, one day in June 74 was a telegram call to tell me that I was accepted at the UN. And I had to, to be in Caracas on the 7th of July, 1974. That's how it started. But let me tell you, I tell you that like that because I was so excited, but at the same time, I was scared. Scared? How so? Because I had to leave. I have to leave my family to go to a place that I didn't know, to start a new life. My English was not that good. My Spanish was better. My English was not that good. And there was a big jump into the unknown. But was a little force in me, pushing me to say, okay, Annick, you can do it. And that's how, when I arrived in Caracas, and fortunately, as I told you, all these people that I met during the, my study time in the, the committee, uh, the Seabed Committee, they were already uh, there. So I was not totally in the unknown because I knew some of my colleagues, but not all of them, but some of them. But I started directly from France to Caracas. So then, then the, the conference went very well, was absolutely the most unbelievable experience in my life. You have no idea to meet all those delegates. And let me tell you, uh, it was the most universal conference ever convinced under the auspices of the UN. And so states will send their best experts. In law, of course, because we were supposed to draft a convention, but not only. You had experts from, from the science, uh, from economists, from, uh, and all that in this Parque Central in Caracas. That was wonderful. That was an incredible thing. I was so happy. Dr. Domafi, the law of the sea has been a field of international law dominated by men from the outset. Admittedly, that's changing now. But back then, as a young lawyer without experience, what was it like entering that space? Law is a very complex, particularly international law. As you pointed out, you need experience. So the experience came from time. And then, you know, the servicing of the conference, I was also very fortunate to be in one of the main commission dealing with uh, pollution of the marine environment and scientific research. And the president of this commission was also a very, very well-known professor in Bulgaria and a highly Francophile. He spoke French extremely well, 
which was very a lot easier for me because, as I said, at that time, my English was not the best. And so, you know, uh, all that has helped me. And then the year has passed by. And then, you know, I learned more and more and more and more. And then by the time you arrive at the level of being a director, you are fully prepared because you have went through all this uh, process. As you know, the conference lasted nine years already. Then after the conference, you have the preparatory commission, which was uh, preparing all the documents for the institution established by the convention. So that's where, you know, I stayed in New York instead of going to Jamaica, where the session where it lasted also seven years. So uh, you had all these years and and then, you know, when the convention was uh, adopted 40 years ago, then the main responsibility of the secretariat, at least the way I've always understood it, was to promote this new uh, set of, of norms, extremely complex. And, you know, even those who have been negotiating it, you know, it was not always easy, first of all, to implement in conformity with it the rules, which most of them were intricated because you cannot speak about protection of the marine environment from ships if you don't deal with fisheries because you don't fish, you know, <laughs> we fish on a boat. So, you know, all those things are intertwined and that is uh, the complexity, but also the, how exciting is this uh, subject of uh, marine affairs because it takes into account so many different disciplines and that makes the thing, you know, to that day, after almost 50 years in this business, I'm still excited. I read, I, I try to think how it will develop. I mean, it's fascinating because you know, it's 70% of our planet. Annick Dumafi, your passion for the law of the sea is infectious. Let's pause for a break. Stay tuned. ISA Conversations, Women in the Law of the Sea will be right back. Welcome back to ISA Conversations, Women in the Law of the Sea. And this rich, riveting interchange with Anique Dumafi, who was there at the exciting start of the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea back in the early 1970s. Dr. Mafi, beyond your seminal work in the Law of the Sea, I've heard of your reputation as a mentor for so many young people entering the United Nations. Why was this so important for you? And for me, it was uh, very, always been very important to 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 be with uh, younger people, those who are starting in uh, in the career when they were arriving, to make sure. And in fact, I was involved in the internship of the United Nations. I was president of the recruitment of interns. Uh, not only for uh, the law of the sea, but for the whole UN, because I always thought that, you know, uh, we have to continue the flame. It has to move on. So you have to have people and help them. And uh, those students, sometimes they come from France, for instance, I one they've loved to find an internship in the UN, but it was not that easy. So of course, I will try my best, but 
without always trying to promote people if they were not competent. If it is people that were connecting with me and asking me for internship, first of all, after that, they had to go through a process. But I remember one came to see me in my office and uh, and she was highly educated. She was doing uh, an LLM in Baltimore. And so I realized how very good this uh, young lady was. And she has been very fortunate because at that time I had a very good friend of mine who was a professor of international law but was assisting Boutros Boutros Ghali, the secretary general at that time. And so I call him and I say, listen, Hervé, I have this, uh, I don't know if you need anybody to help you, but I really have somebody of a uh, Oh, it's fantastic. I was just looking for somebody to help me to prepare all the speech for Boutros Ghali. So I sent it to, and she was a recruiter, not only as an intern, but then she worked for three years. So, you know, this thing makes me feel very happy Mm -hmm. because you have given an opportunity to somebody who highly deserved it to really know something that very few will know. She was very lucky, this one. But otherwise, in the law of the sea itself, we had a lot of interns, yes, because we need that. We, it was a, has always been a very, very big amount of work in our division, and it's still the same. Yeah. So you, we needed a lot of assistance and, and external help. And then when I had these uh, interns, my door was always open for them. Dr. Damafi, working in the law of the sea is demanding, even more so for women who want to have a family and at the same time perform at the top of their game. What counsel would you have for women working in the law of the sea, seeking to achieve that optimal work-family life balance? It's a very difficult question, very difficult because I don't think there is one answer. It depends of who you are, of your character, of how much you can achieve. But it's a question of also of uh, physical strength. And of course, if you want to have a family and a career, uh, you have to make sure that you have a great partner, somebody who is going to understand and accept, you know, that uh, you might not be as available as uh, you might have liked, but will be always happy to help you and to help you uh, in the task of every day and with the children. And so uh, if you have a great partner, then everything is possible. And I was lucky enough to have a wonderful husband. So uh, this way, it was not easy because, you know, I had to uh, leave my children, first my daughter, the eldest one, for uh, six weeks during the time we were sent to Geneva for, I think, was the last session of uh, the conference. And then the second time, then I had a, a second child. So I had two children of a young age, again, back to Geneva to finish up the text of the convention that was in the drafting committee in order for the document to be prepared for the opening for signature in Jamaica, in Montego Bay in 1982. And so uh, that was the toughest, toughest part in my life. But then my husband was there 
and he was uh, accepted this responsibility to care. Of course, I had a nanny. So you have to be well organized. You have to have, of course, the financial mean, I have to say, to be able to do that. So it's not that easy at all, particularly in the international world. Uh, if you live in a town and you have been there, you have your parents, I mean, I can see that. I mean, the grandparents are playing an incredible role in France. But if you don't have that, this was my case because I didn't have any more my parents were both passed away. So I had to rely only on myself and my husband and, and some friends and my uh, secretaries, uh, you know, <laughs> just a little story. I'm sure you will cut it. But when I was expecting my second child, I said, what are we going to do with our daughter in case, you know, I have to deliver the child during the night? We cannot leave her by herself. So I had two of my secretaries were on call for 15 days. Wherever, you know, they were going, they will tell me where. So, And that's what happened. My son arrived was, uh, you know, 10 o'clock in the evening. So I called them and fortunately they were having dinner not far away. So they came to my home so you know my husband and, and I we could go to the hospital things like that you know so you have to be organized you have to be uh, really highly competent the competition now is is very uh, very high I mean when I talk to you in my time they were asking high level because men were the one looking at you so you had to be the best for you to come into a man world. It's not the same now. In looking at all the contribution, I was so pleased to see how many women now have chosen to work in maritime affairs. And so the problems are different, but they still need to be uh, the best they can. And I would say the same thing for, for men. I mean, it's a very complex uh, subject. Only as a lawyer, you cannot be only a lawyer. You have to understand geopolitics, you have to understand economy, you have to understand science, not to go in depth, but to understand and to know that it plays a role in the fabrication of norms. And then, of course, international politics, it's always very important. I encourage all my colleagues, my women colleagues, whichever country they are from, to contribute to their country, to the development of the law of the sea. And tell us, what new emerging roles do you see for women in the law of the sea? I think that's a very tough question also, because it's not because they are women that they have to play a different role. I think now there are enough men and women in this field. It has really uh, moved forward a lot from, you know, my time, uh, we were two in the secretariat. Now, uh, I mean, they are parity more or less. I mean, we can see, uh, if you look at the conference, uh, any international conference, you will see as many women as men. So I think their role is uh, to, like men, to contribute now to the subject, to give their imagination, their intuition. Sometimes women are more intuitive and we are more precise. You know, when you read documents or you try to find a compromise or you, women would see maybe sometime a little loophole here that man might not see. That is a complementarity 
of uh, both men and women. But uh, my answer today is certainly uh, very, very different than the one that I would have made uh, 30 years ago. I said, just let's try to show to men how competent we are. That was the most important thing. Now they know that women are competent. What they need is now to work together harmoniously. But then men are men and women are women. That's the beauty also of uh, complementarity. Just um, be a woman. Sound advice there, Dr. Dumafi. Now let's look ahead. What's your hope for the future of the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea? Well, my aspiration is that uh, we continue the the work which has started uh, now more more than a century and moving on at the time, every time there is new development in the world. And certainly we are in the middle of a major, major one, where as uh, my great friend and another incredible woman uh, in the law of the sea is Elizabeth Mann-Borghais, would uh, had said already uh, 30 years ago is the starting of the little village. The little village being, of course, our world. And uh, so the the course, the movement of development of humanity, of protecting more and more his resources, but at the same time, not preventing economic development to occur. I mean, we have come to dealing with the law of the sea during the uh, period up to the 1992. And then now we moved on from 92 to where we are to uh, looking more as a sustainable development at conservation and management of resources from a planet who still has a lot of resources. And a lot of resources have not been exploited. Talking about the International Seabed Authority, which is in the process of uh, preparing uh, legislation for dealing with the uh, exploration and exploitation of the seabed taking into account the fact that this common heritage of mankind. So we are, you know, this dialectic between uh, doing and protecting. And that is where we're going to move forward. And just before we end this conversation, we have to ask, what's next for Anik Tomafi? Well, I think I have done my part. (laughs) Because as you know, I just finished uh, to be the president of an institute in Monaco, for which I worked for 10 years editing a review. And um, I'm ready also to give advice to whomever young people want to to, uh, be in touch with me and to to write. My idea is to to write a book or maybe to use all the articles I have written so far and try to combine them. I have some ideas like that. But for now, I'm still okay, I think. And I endorse that, Dr. DeMaffi. You're more than okay. Thank you so much for this walk down memory lane. What an amazing journey in the United Nations and a formidable legacy in the law of the sea. Thank you. This has been ISA Conversations, Women in the Law of the Sea, a special production of the International Seabed Authority in celebration of the remarkable contributions of women to the progressive development of the law of the sea. 
I'm your host, Mark Thomas. Until next time, thank you for listening.